week on the CWCCS podcast, we continue where we left off in last week's message, Church Leadership. Pastor Al Pittman continues this message from our series titled, Setting Things in Order. It's based on the book of Titus. As we look at what the Bible says a leader's response to people stirring up strife in the church should look like. Let's go now to today's message. Father in heaven, we want to lift up before you those who serve their God in our school system. And Lord, these are challenging times. We pray, dear God, that your Holy Spirit will be with them. We pray, Father, as your word declares, if you lack wisdom to ask and you would grant it to us liberally. They need wisdom today, Father, with all the issues regarding masks and vaccines and all the different things. God, would you strengthen them by the power of your Holy Spirit and give them your wisdom and your strength. We pray, Father, that they would have a prosperous school year because you are enough. We pray, Father, for the parents. We pray that you would touch them by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give wisdom to parents, and and Lord, that they would experience your peace. And the parents, Lord, would at this time really seize this opportunity to be a witness for their children, Lord, in the midst of troubled times, that their children would look to them and see their parents' faith despite the challenges that they face. Father, I pray that you would bless the families, bless the homes, And bless our children. We pray today, Father, for your anointing and blessing upon your word. Uh, Your word, dear God, it is truth, it is life. We pray that as it goes forth, that you would speak to our hearts. We pray, Father, that your word will not return to you void. That's your promise. It will not come back to you void, but you will accomplish your word. And we pray, Father, that you would grant to us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. So, Lord, be glorified in this service, we pray. We give you all the praise and all the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for allowing me to do that. And uh, we want to get back into our study, of course, in the book of Titus. And the theme going through the book of Titus has been setting things in order. And last week, we uh, looked at part one of uh, a message regarding church leaders and in particular pastors and today is part two of that message we'll finish uh, that message today regarding church leadership and uh, we're going to finish chapter one amen I've milked it for all that I can and now we must move on thank those of you who are joining us online as well and thank you for joining us today may the Lord richly bless you as well setting things in order church leadership Now, last week we saw and discussed, rather, two out of the three uh, essential attributes of pastoral leadership. We saw that the pastor must be appointed. Secondly, we saw that the pastor must be accountable. And today we're going to talk about that third essential aspect of pastoral leadership, and that's the pastor must operate in authority, with authority. I want us to begin reading here in our text at verse 10. We'll read down to verse 14. Please read along with me. Titus chapter 1 verse 14. Verse 10, excuse me. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Who are those of the circumcision? Well, they were the Jewish believers. Whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, 
said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, amen. <laughs> Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Amen. Let me just say on the outset that pastor or pastoral authority is not authoritarianism. God ordained the office of pastor as leaders within the church to be a benefit to the church, not a bully within the church. Yet at the same time, keep in mind, the pastor must lead with authority. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let me stop there and just simply say that submission to the leadership within the church is essential to the unity and the order of the church. And I might add, and I'm not saying this flippantly or trying to be, you know, sarcastic, but it's true. If you do not respect the pastor, find a pastor rather that you respect. Don't sit in the congregation for 10 years, you know, uh, complaining about the pastor. You're just going to stink up the place. You know, find a pastor you can respect because you must be submissive to the authority over you. That's the order that God has placed within his house. He goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 13, let them do so who do so. The pastors with joy, not with grief. Well, that would be unprofitable for them. In context, he says, be submissive to those who are over you. And then he says, let them, be, let them do so in order in, uh, uh, with, uh, with joy rather than grief. Amen. When, when it comes to listing characteristics of leadership, a lot of things come to our mind. You know, visionary, you know, uh, administrative or what have you. But... I think a lot of times people don't remember that really according to God's kingdom, uh, a biblical leader, an effective biblical leader must have joy. Did you notice that? He says, if you're going to serve them, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, he says, then do it with joy because it would not be a benefit to you. To who? To the church. And so a pastor must lead with joy. It's an important leadership trait to God. Now, this doesn't mean that the pastor has to walk around with a joker smile on his face, face all, all the time. Amen. But it does mean that there should be joy in his leadership in serving the Lord. Joy is important for us as believers. The Bible says in Nehemiah 8 verse 10, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not the joy of the world, not the joy in things, not even the joy in people, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? So we must uh, conclude that an angry, authoritarian pastor is of no profit to his church, his fellowship. Numbers chapter 20. It's an interesting account there. 
We have an example of angry authoritarianism in a pastor is in the life of Moses. I'm sure Moses is in heaven going, oh boy, here we go again. <laughs> but there's an example there of what not to do as a pastor. The children of Israel in the wilderness, they came to a place called Mirabah. And uh, there they were complaining. They didn't have any water to drink. and said, Moses, you lead us out here to, to kill us. We should have left us alone. And they're always complaining, like a lot of congregations. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and Moses and Aaron went before the Lord. And the Lord said, you know, speak to the rock in this rock that was there. And, 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 and the water will come out. And the people will have water to drink. And they, the animals can drink as well. Oh, Moses and Aaron stood in the door of the tabernacle and Moses delivered his Sunday sermon, so to speak. You rebellious people. He was upset. You want water? Here's your water. And he struck the rock and water came out of the rock. There's a great lesson there. Uh, a great, another message we don't have time to get into. And that is that despite the instrument God uses, God is always true to his word. Water came out of the rock. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> hey, God honors his word above his name. And so even though the vessel may be flawed, God will always honor his word. That's a whole nother message. Amen. But then he called, the Lord God called Moses and Aaron aside. Hey, Mo, bring Aaron with you. I want to talk to you. In Numbers chapter 20. Verse 12, the Bible says, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and he said, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Forty years pastoring the people, and Moses cannot go into the land. God took his, his actions very personally. Not only Moses, but Aaron also could not go into the land. And Aaron was the first high priest in Israel. And uh, in fact, when, uh, before he went into the land, the scripture tells us that God told Aaron to take the vestments off himself, the priestly vestments, and to put them on his son. I believe it was Eliezer. And then he said, now Aaron, you go up to this mountain and die. That's God's success, uh, succession plan for pastors. Did you know that? Amen. When he's done with you, take the vestments off, give them to somebody else, and you go to a mountain and die. Don't hang around the congregation wanting people to, you know, you know lament over you, you know, oh, I wish you were pastor. No, get, away, get out of the way. Amen. I love God's succession plan. <laughs> take the garments off, you're done, and you go die. Amen. <laughs> And Moses was able to look over and see the land, but he could not enter in the land. And he went up to a mountain and he died. He could not go into the land. I want you to notice something here in God's rebuke of Moses and Aaron. And for every believer, really, and especially pastors, church leaders, faith and respect go hand in hand. You did not believe me, the Lord said, that's faith, to Hallow me, that's respect, before the people. You took matters in your own hand. That word hallowed is the Hebrew word kadash. It means pronounce, observe, honored, sacred, holy. Did Jesus not teach us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Years ago, as a young preacher, I was in my early 20s, and a part of a thriving church here in town, a lot of young people were coming, giving their lives to Christ, and, and I was preaching, uh, I believe it might have been a Friday night or whatever, but we used to do Friday night concerts and stuff, and, and I got up to preach one night, and I saw my father walk down the aisle. And I thought, wow, I was kind of shocked. And then I thought, woo, you're going to get saved tonight. Amen. <laughs> and I preached my little heart out and all. And I bowed my head at the end and lead people in the sinner's prayer. And I knew when I opened my eyes, my dad would be down at the altar giving his life to Jesus. But when I opened my eyes, he was gone. Later on, I would learn that he said to my mother, you know, I went down to that church to hear my son preach. And he never acknowledged me. It was pretty important to my dad that I'd acknowledge him. And it's certainly important to God. To hallow God is to acknowledge him. To acknowledge him. To acknowledge his presence. To acknowledge God's presence in every situation is an act of faith and respect. By hitting the rock, Moses and Aaron failed to acknowledge the presence, the sovereign authority of God. That's what's going on there. Sometimes, especially in this day and time in which we live, there's a lot of challenging challenges that we face. And sometimes Christians, you know, they just kind of go rogue. They, they think we're going to fight fire with fire and all this. And I believe in, 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 in uh, peaceful assemblies and all that. We're granted, granted that by the Constitution and all. Uh, but sometimes we get down in the mud with, you know, the world and, and we forget to acknowledge God's presence. The Bible reminds us in James chapter 1, verse 20, that for the wrath of man does not accomplish or produce the righteousness of God. So when we as believers, followers of Christ, resort to panic rather than trusting in God's promises, and we allow fear rather than faith to govern our lives, we have in essence failed to hallow, to respect the sovereign presence of Almighty God. This is what Moses and Aaron failed to do. This is why God took it so personally. You took matters in your own hand rather than realizing you were in the palm of my hand. Psalm 46 verse 10 and 11 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Amen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You need to remember that today. To, to be still is not a call to passivity, but utter reliance upon God in what we do. 
Thus Paul, in our text, out of respect for the presence of God, exhorts Titus and the other elders there on the island of Crete to not be passive but aggressive in addressing those who contradict the truth within the church. Verse 10, Paul declares, for there are many insubordinate both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Within the church, at this particular time, there were Judaizers, they called them. They were professing Jewish believers who taught that in order for you to really have salvation, you must keep all the law of Moses and all the Pharisaical laws and all this. And they were going from house to house, teaching these things. And they were dividing the church, and they were getting rich off the church. And Paul rebukes them sternly, or actually asks Titus and the others to rebuke them sternly. And he points out two characteristics of insubordination within the church that are always present when you find someone who's being divisive in the church. The first thing he says is that in verse 10, they were idle talkers. That is gossips. Mischievous, uttering empty, senseless things. They're sharing information. They have no facts, no proof. But, oh, did you hear about this? Well, I don't know about that church. Let me tell you. And they start talking. Empty things. Haven't gone to the person that they may suspect something of or whatever. They're just talking, running their mouths. And then secondly, the second characteristic is that they're deceivers. That word literally means seducers. Possessing smooth tongues. Convincing people that a lie is the truth. And where do you find these two characteristics? Where did they originate from? Well, if you want to see the origin of them, go to the book of Genesis and look in the Garden of Eden. Did not the devil come to Eve with idle talk? Hey, Eve, how you doing? What's up? He started talking and sharing these empty things. And then, of course, he deceives her and says, did God really say you cannot eat? Surely you will not surely die if you eat of the forbidden fruit. It originated with the devil. Idle talk and deception. Proverbs chapter 16 tells us this. It says, an ungodly man digs up evil. If you dig deep enough in anybody's life, you're going to find something wrong. And a person who's preoccupied with finding dirt on everybody is an evil person. Amen. Amen. An ungodly man digs up evil and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Regarding such individuals, again, Paul commanded Their mouths must be stopped. Wow. Shut them up, in other words. The act is, this this was an act of boldness. It wasn't an act of timidity. 
But it was an act that was necessary. Why? For the protection of the sheep and the health of the church. That's what a pastor does. He doesn't let this stuff kind of linger around. (laughs) He performs in his office, executes his office with authority, not in timidity, but with authority by the word of God. There's an old sales adage. You know, I had a lot of jobs over the years, and one was salesman. And, you know, my, my wife, I would come home and tell her, oh, I got potential to make so much money. She said, we can't eat potential. <laughs> what you bringing home? <laughs> potential ain't paying the bills, amen. <laughs> but, you know, I, I was in the sales field for a little while and all this, and we had this adage to sell in, in the sales field. Uh, field, and, and maybe some of you have heard it before, that timid salesmen have skinny kids. <laughs> and you could say a, a timid preacher will have an emaci- spiritually emaciated congregation. God has not called us, whether a preacher or a congregant, to live our lives in fear. In timidity, 2 Timothy 1.7, you know it well. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, peace of mind. Amen? That's the God we serve. Insubordination among the Cretans on the island of Crete was a common characteristic of their culture. And so Paul says one of them, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And Paul says this testimony is true. It's a part of their, their culture. And he says the testimony was true. The person that he's speaking about, he said one of the, their own is a man by the name of, uh, it, it, excuse me, yeah. <laughs> I can't even say it now. Senior moment. Time out. <laughs> Epimenides. I mean, I'm getting it wrong. I don't know. I said it last service. Epimenides. Excuse me. Woo, man. You ever get a word in your head? You're like, whoa. Man, you applaud for that. I, I got it out. I don't know. I just like, stuck. Amen. I'll take the vestments off and go to the mountain. Amen. It's getting close. <laughs> Amen. So anyway, Epimenides, he was a, he was a prophet of a, a wise man of the Cretans. And uh, every, the Cretans all were familiar with him. But he, you know, he was born in Crete uh, some 538 years before the Christian era. So before the time of Paul. But everybody knew who this guy was. And he even testified to the fact that Cretans were an unrestrained people. In fact, the phrase behaving like a Cretan was synonymous with bad behavior. And then I know some of you Star Wars fans are thinking, Cretans, there it is. Star Wars is biblical. No, it's not. Amen. (laughs) Paul knew that their carnal propensities had opened them up to possible deception. And Paul wanted to leave no doubt that it was not okay to embrace 
ungodly attitudes and behavior as a part of the culture of the kingdom of God. And so Paul declared, rebuke them, verse 13, rebuke them sharply. Why? So they feel condemned or feel bad? No, that they may be sound in faith. You cannot be sound in faith when you try to mix your faith with the world. You cannot be sound. You will be unstable in your faith, mixing the philosophies and wisdom of the world with the word of God. It doesn't work. It's untempered mortar. God called it in the book of Ezekiel. Paul wanted to be sound in faith, to be abounding, to have life more abundantly. But he could not do that by living according to their old carnal ways. Rebuke them sharply, sharp rebuke by the word of God, the sword of the spirit that's sharper than any two-edged sword is better than the dull blade of compromise any day. And if you rebuke a wise man, he becomes wiser. That Greek word for sharply, apotomos, it means abruptly, precipitously, severely. That word precipitously is interesting. It means nastily and without careful consideration. Don't care who you are. Now, he's not talking about people in the church who are struggling to understand something. He's talking about people who've come in and intentionally are teaching false doctrine that gather the people to themselves. He says, you don't have coffee with them. You don't sit around and have a committee meeting. You get in their face and you rebuke them sharply without apology. Because they are preaching another gospel in the house of God. And when Peter decided to Act like a racist. Paul reminds us in the, in the word that he, he confronted Peter to his face. That doesn't belong in the house of God. Is Christ divided, Peter? No. And so it is with us and within the church when we bring in something that's totally opposed to the gospel. Not to make room for it or to tolerate it but to rebuke it sharply. Chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Speak these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Your authority comes not from you, it comes from the word of God. I remember I was, uh, when I was at another church before we came up here to, Springs, down in Albuquerque, a large church, awesome ministry. And um, the pastor there, uh, one of the best uh, teachers of the word that I've ever had the privilege of sitting under. And after the service, he would come down and talk with people. And I noticed one day he was, you know, having a little like starting to be kind of some, <laughs> some uh, words, kind of not heated, but a little agitated conversations having with this one person. And he, and I, being one of the pastors on staff, I was nearby. So he motioned to me to come over. And I walked over there, and I'll never forget, he, he didn't even look at the guy. The guy's standing here, he looks at me and says, this guy is a heretic. He's teaching false teachings. 
I want him off the, pres- the presence or the premises right now. And uh, I looked at the guy, I said, let's go. And I escorted him off the premises. He was complaining and all that. And I ain't coming back. He said, don't come back. You say, well, that was mean. No, that was precipitous. That was getting in the face because the guy was speaking heresy and, and claiming to, at the same time to be a Christian. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. A pastor needs to understand you're a shepherd. I mean, uh, David said, thy rod and thy staff, they, protect, they comfort me. The, 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 the staff was to lead the sheep. The rod was to beat off wolves. This guy was a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. You, you, don't, you don't meet and have coffee with wolves. You beat them away from the sheep. Amen? It left, a, it left a real impression on me that this that he was being a, a loving pastor protecting the sheep. This guy, get him off the premises. Paul wanted to make it crystal clear to the Cretan believers that there was no room in the house of God for the old man. The old man has no membership within the kingdom of God. Back in Colossians, Paul wrote these words in Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. He says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave nor free, nor Democrat, nor Republican, nor liberal, nor conservative. That wisdom has no business being promoted in the house of God. Amen? Racist ideologies and all these things, segregationism is no, has no part in the house of God. Christ is all and in all. Amen? So when you see those spirits trying to le- you know, leak into the church or come into the church, you are to confront them. It doesn't belong here. It doesn't belong here. And Paul wanted to make it clear. He rebuked them sharply. Amen. So he instructs T- Titus and the other elders to stand against division. You know, God hates division. He doesn't, you know, kind of not like it. He hates it. And a pastor should stand against what God hates. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, there we find 
The Bible says there are six things that God hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him, and number seven on that list is one who sows discord among the brethren. So now you understand why Paul is so fired up against these Judaizers preaching these wrong things. And Paul knew that their old carnal nature would, might, would make them susceptible to these false teachings. So he says, rebuke them sharply. In verse 14, we read where he says, where God says that they were giving heed to Jewish fables and the commandments of men who turn from the truth. Amen. Turning people away from the truth to themselves. Now, based on verse 15, and let's read verse 15 here. He says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. What is Paul speaking about there? And again, the, the context, he's talking about these Judaizers going from house to house and teaching these these false things. He's probably speaking, and many believe that he's speaking that, uh, about the fact that the Judaizers are going from house to house, uh, dividing people uh, through legalistic um, restrictions, religious restrictions about eating meat. Eating meat. That was a big deal. Um, and back in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10, Paul takes those chapters to talk about this controversy in the early church about eating meat. Now, what is that? why was it a controversy? Because people would offer meat to these idols, and then they would take the meat to the marketplace, and Christians would go in the marketplace and buy this meat, and people would say, oh, you're buying meat offered to idols. And Christians would say, hey, dude, it's just a steak. It's just meat. We know the idols are nothing. You know, only God is true. And so these things, no, we, we have freedom to eat it. And then some people were being stumbled. And Paul said, you know, if, if eating meat stumbles my brother, then I won't eat meat in front of my brother like that, you know. I mean, if a vegetarian offered you to, you know, invited you to dinner, don't show up with two steaks. <laughs> Amen. You know what I'm saying? Because you're, you're no longer walking in love. Paul said, if I cause my brother to stumble, I'm not walking in love. But I'm going to grill me some steaks at home. Amen. I'm just saying. <laughs> but... <laughs> But in love, because someone, may, you know, they're a vegetarian, I'm not going to come and stumble them or, and do something that's going to make them stumble. You need to walk uh, in love. And so the Judaizers were, were saying, you know, if you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to be saved, you, you, cannot, you can only eat certain meats. And yet Paul says in his, if you will, dissertation in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 to, to verse 10, he mentions there Psalm 21, I mean 24, where he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. In other words, you know, we have freedom in Christ to eat whatever. God created it all for us to enjoy. Rather than resting, however, in the grace of God, these Judaizers sought to justify themselves and to bring other people into bondage before God, or in the name of God, by what they ate. And what they did not eat. By their works. They were relying upon their works. You understand. Uptight legalistic 
believers are never at peace because they're continually trying to prove to God somehow that they're worthy. And so the Judaizers saw this as a way of proving before God that they were worthy. Oh, we don't eat certain foods. That's not kosher. And true righteousness is based on what we eat or don't eat. And the Judaizers in Paul's day, you know, or Paul rather, looked at these Judaizers basically as being false teachers. They were in Paul's day, these Judaizers were much like the cancel culture of our day. You say, well, you know, what do you mean? I'm glad you asked. Amen. The, the Judaizers measured righteousness by what one did not eat. And what did Jesus say about that? He said this, Matthew 15. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. They're so concerned about what goes in their mouth, Jesus, it's not what goes in your mouth. But what comes out of your mouth, because out of the abundance of the heart, one speaks. Be concerned about what's coming out of your mouth. It's not what goes in. Today's cancel cultures, culture measures uh, righteousness by what one does not say. You can't say certain things. Or we'll shut you down. We'll cancel you. You'll lose your job, your career. It's a new form of righteousness. Don't be mistaken. It's a religion, if you will. What did Paul the Apostle say? I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? (laughs) Amen. I love that. Amen. Give God praise and glory. Amen. Because whom the Son has set free is free indeed. I believe God is for freedom of speech. Why is my liberty being judged by another man's conscience? Because of their reliance upon religion, Paul considered these Judaizers abominable, disobedient, and disqualified. Why? Because they were trusting in their works, their self-righteousness, in their deeds, rather than the work of the cross. And by doing so, they were nullifying the work of the cross. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And the Judaizers come along and say, well, not quite. And so Paul says, these people are abominable, disobedient, and disqualified. Thanks for catching today's episode of the CWCCS podcast. If you haven't already, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if this message hit home for you, share it with a friend. You can also support this ministry and these free teachings by visiting cwccs.org and click on Give. While you're there, you can also find the full archive of teachings from Pastor Al Pittman by clicking on the sermon's link. That's cwccs.org. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.